We're going to stay, we're staying with the picture, the image of cleansing the temple. And um, we're, going to, we're going to be spending the initial part of the message in 1 Peter chapter 2, where he unpacks some wonderful truths about us as living stones in the temple. So this is a slightly different way of taking the image. It's not us as individual temples, which is one spiritual truth. You find that particularly unpacked in like 1 Corinthians 6 and places like that. But there's a, there's a further layer to the image where together we are the dwelling place of God. And in that scenario, we, our, our role in that, if you like, is as living stones. And so let's, let's look at 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, and we'll start um, from verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a, ho- a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Amen? Amen. The word of God. What a wonderful um, scripture. And I would really love us to be focusing as we think about the image that Peter's using here of us as part of the... We, are, we, are now, we once weren't a people, now we are a people. And um, it's great that we're called by name. It's great that we're known individually. It's, it's, it's beyond comprehension that every hair on our head is numbered and all of those things. I love that stuff. But it exists alongside another equally profound truth that we are part of the people of God. And it's especially important that we emphasize that because our wider culture is, heading, is, is just... Uh, careering headlong into an abyss of individualism. And it's toxic. And it, 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 it's destructive. I mean, I was, I was chatting to my brother, who's not a believer, and uh, we went out for his birthday. I bought him a burger and a beer, and we were just having a nice time together. And he's starting to notice this stuff. And I was walking away from our conversation together, and um, at, s- at some point on the way home, I, went, I, I was on the, the BBC website... And this, and this is what flashed up on the screen, the headline. Your BBC gets better when it's all about you. It's just weird. Like, it doesn't even make any sense. It's just weird. Like, it doesn't get better when it's about me. Like, if everything on there was about me, like, we'd run out of content pretty quick. Like, I want to find out about what's going on in the world. It's, no. It, but it's just symptomatic of this obsession with self. And it's killing me. And it's killing you. And hallelujah, we've been delivered out of that. But so often in church, all the songs are about me, not him. 
The sermons are about me, not him. The prophecies are often about me. I want to hear about him. I want to know about Jesus. I got delivered from all of that. That's, that was my old world. It, it, was, it, it, it was horrible and it was dark and there was, no, there was no beauty or joy in it. I got delivered out of that into Jesus. And Jesus brought me into his family. He's not ashamed to call me his brother. And he brought me into a family, you lot. And it's magnificent. And I'm part of something so much bigger than me now. And I think we just constantly need washing in this. And we need to grow in discernment. We really do need to grow in discernment. You know, you've got all these wonderful things in Ephesians 1, you know, chosen before the foundation of the world, forgiven, cleansed, redeemed, adopted. But it ends to the praise of his glory. Yeah? It doesn't end with, oh, wow, look, look all the, what the Lord has done for me. Mustn't I be this? Or, no, 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 it's not about me. This is what he's done for me. What? Are you serious? Isn't he amazing? What an amazing God, you see, to the praise of his glory. What grace, what love, what mercy. It's so, so important, especially if you're part of the selfie generation. You know, so often I think, what's that person looking at on their phone? I'm thinking, oh, themselves. Oh, okay. You can tell by the lips. You know, I can't be good, I don't know how to do it. I've got, te- I've got teenagers, so we have a lot of fun with this, you know. But it's like... No. No. That's, a, that's. Now, the older generation has their own ways of doing it, so it's not like I'm not, I'm not going to go at you. But it's just a trap. I'm a living stone connected to others, and together, together we are being made into a dwelling place for God. But what that does do is it, 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 it means that our relationships are so, so important. And that God really cares about them. Because if it's a dwelling place for God, the Father you know, comes by his, by his presence, by his spirit, indwells the house. You know what it's like if you live with people that aren't getting on with each other? I was chatting to, we've got a wonderful woman in our church. She's, um, she's I think she's probably in her 60s, single woman. She works for Wycliffe, translating the Bible into a language whereby they don't currently have a Bible. Absolutely wonderful woman. We were just chatting the other day, and we were talking about what was it? New Zealand for some reason. She said I went to New Zealand once, and it was a nightmare. It's Middle Earth. How can it be a nightmare? <laughs> she said. She said I was staying. I was staying with this couple that were constantly arguing. This would have been decades ago. That's what stuck with her. She was in a house with people that didn't get on. We had a house of God. Our relationships are of huge importance and significance. We mustn't do shortcuts on that. It's key, you see. I'm going to show you how it's key as we go into some of these, some of these things. But I just want to just firstly just draw your attention before we do that to, to, to two things about this. Peter talks about in verse 5 about offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I think that covers numbers of things. I think that is definitely about praise. The Bible talks about the sacrifice of praise and the offering of, offering of thanksgiving, thankful lips. So I'm sure it's that. I'm sure it's prayer. 
My house will be a house of prayer for all nations. It's part of what the priests would do, wouldn't it? Pray and intercede. Absolutely. But I also think this passage is talking about evangelism. And I want to show you why. Because we wouldn't often always associate this language with evangelism to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable. But I want to show you why I think it is. Um, if you turn with me to Romans 15, listen to the way Paul describes his missionary work. It's uh, very, very uh, fascinating and interesting. So Paul is describing his missionary work. So if we go to Romans chapter 15, and let's start at verse 15. Romans 15, 15. On some points I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus, listen, to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. You hear that? In the priestly service of the gospel of God. So that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. He's looking at his apostolic ministry to reach the Gentiles, to share the gospel, to see them come to the obedience of faith. And he views it as part of his priestly duty. It's a very spiritual way of thinking about evangelism. I think we need to get our minds right on this. Because we can be so pragmatic when it comes to evangelism. You sort of, you're thinking about everything other than the spiritual element. What, you know, that you, how are we going to go about it? How do we organise it? Uh, we can think of, you know, about get, even sort of get a bit psychological about it. Okay, how can we help people, you know, kind of be kind of, how can we be, be winsome? All these things are fine. But the key of it is that it's a spiritual thing. God is at work calling people by his spirit. And we are serving him as priests. And, and us bringing people to the Lord is, is as priests, uh, when we help people find the Lord and the Lord brings them to himself, it's, it's part of our offering to him as priests. And I think that's what Peter's getting to here. Because if you look down back to the Peter passage in verse 9, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. I think sometimes we use that phrase to describe what we do on a Sunday when we come and sing. I don't think that's his primary meaning. I think when he's talking about proclaiming the excellencies of him, that's, that's a preach word, that's a preaching. That's pre so what the house of God does, it preaches the gospel, declares how excellent he is to one another for sure, but to the lost also. And so as we... Just look at relational dynamics within the house of God. I want you to understand the impact of this. This isn't just so we have a nicer time together. Okay? This is so that we fulfill our calling as the house of God. Which is everything from praise to prayer to mission. It's, it's that important. It's that big a deal. That's why we make such a big fuss about the church. There's so many other reasons, but you know, if you want to focus in on the image of, of the house of God, it's phenomenally profound and important. It's why we believe in the local church. We believe in the big vision of the church, but that, it's been, that, that God has chosen in his wisdom to set this glorious thing up, this house, his house, in local congregations. 
That they would be that the, the local church is the only entity that can take someone from who doesn't yet know the Lord right through discipleship process, all of that building foundations through to maturity and sending them into the purposes of God. It's it's, it's the the wonder, the uniqueness of the local church. With the if the ministries that are, are really at work as they should be, Ephesians four ministries and others coming in and and, and having that impact and that input. It, it's 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 unique only. You know, uh, uh, evangelistic organizations, praise God for them. But they, that's what they do. Prophetic ministries, praise God for them, but they do that. The local church is called to do it all. A diversity of ministries, diversity of gifts, the multi-membered body of Christ. It's, it's why we believe in it. It's why we care about it. It's why we invest so much in the church because this is, this is the blueprint. This is how God has decided to set things up that we might fulfill the great commission of making disciples of all nations. So let's, let's, have, let's just zone in and just spend a bit of time in this session just thinking about cleansing the temple from unhelpful relational dynamics that don't belong in the house of God. Let's go to Colossians 3 to help us meditate on that. Colossians 3, verse 12 to 14. Here Paul is exhorting the Colossians to set their minds on the things above, not on things below, to, you know, to, to, to grow up into all that, all that Jesus has brought them into positionally, to grow up into it and to put off the old and put on the new. And he says this, Colossians 3 verse 12, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds or ties everything together in perfect harmony. This is a phenomenal passage talking about what it looks like to be the house of God together, what it involves, the reality of it. Um, This may not be the easiest message for some of you because... You know, um, doing relationships well is not, it's not easy. You just be honest about it. We could probably do attending the same building and singing to the Lord together well. Okay, we can do that. Okay. But what the Bible, how the Bible describes church life, that's much deeper than that. We love that, but it's much deeper than that. And um, let's look at some of these things and just think about them together. This is quite, uh, maybe quite amusing, but also perhaps quite penetrating. Notice that this is a complaining and forgiving community. I want to say that again. This is a complaining and forgiving community. I think our churches are very often a silently offended and unforgiving community. There's not enough complaining. Now let me clarify what I mean by that. To have a grumbling spirit is very ungodly. A murmuring, grumbling, critical spirit. That is outrightly condemned. 
across the world. I'm not saying that. But let's think back to Acts 6, where some of the widows are being overlooked. And it says a complaint arose. There was a complaint, and it arose. And actually, it led to a great breakthrough. It led to appointing deacons and seeing further ministry and growth. It was handled well, but it, the complaint happened. It was a complaining community. Something wasn't being done right. And here's the key. Something was said. Something was said, and that thing that was said, here's another key, was heard. And as a result of it being heard, action was taken, and guess what equals what? Fruitfulness and growth. My observation is that in the UK, for the most part, we do not do well on this. Something happens, and it gets internalised. And it becomes a stone in the shoe. And there's an inability to run in the same way. Because that happened. I've had numbers of pastoral conversations recently uh, with dear people in the church, you know, just, um, and the things, just, just trying to create time to just ask. And the stuff that's come up. And they go, well, that happened, you know, five years ago. And you think, well, I can't, where, oh, yeah, okay. But I didn't bring it up. Well, it, didn't, it, wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't a big deal. Well, clearly it was. <laughs> yeah? But they're trying to be godly, yeah, and not cause a fuss. Okay, so it's not bad heart, but I won't bring that up. But it stayed there. You understand what I'm saying? It stayed there. And it's hindered them in their running with us. And sometimes people leave churches for the craziest reasons. Everyone's scratching their head. No, but it wasn't that. That was the last straw. There have been 15 things before that that nothing was said about. When I say to Christians, if someone sins against you, what should you do? What's the normal answer that comes? Straight away. Forgive. That's not Jesus. Jesus doesn't say that. That's not Jesus. Someone does something wrong, or someone sins against you, what do you do? Tell them. That's Jesus. You tell them. So they can repent, so you can forgive. We skip that stage. We tell ourselves we've forgiven people. We don't want the confrontation. We tell ourselves we've forgiven them, and we just bury it. That, my friends, is an incredibly unhealthy, unspiritual way of doing things. And it pays off in a really bad way down the road. We have to get bolder. We have to learn how to have those crucial conversations. I, for me, I think it is vital. Vital. If you read the teaching of Jesus on this, you will realise that it will hinder. Relational dynamics hinder effectiveness in prayer. Relational dynamics hinder effectiveness in prayer. Why? Because it's all this unseen stuff going on in the hearts, but guess who sees it? Jesus. <laughs> Grieves the Holy Spirit. Now, of course, if someone offends you or hurts you, you don't just tell them straight away. You take some time to think, is this me being oversensitive? Yeah? Or have I been sinned against? And you... Wait on God and you pray and you ask the Lord. Because Jesus didn't say, if you're offended, go and tell him if someone sins against you. So you have to reflect. But once you know, no, that was, that was wrong. That was unhelpful. It is an incumbent upon you to tell them. Not to tell other people. Tell them. 
that doesn't work, if that conversation doesn't go so well, you can draw someone wise in. Okay? The first thing is your tone. It's a huge cultural stronghold. We don't do it. There might be a few northerners among us that do. Because <laughs> you're truth tellers for the most part. Just go easy on us. But in the South, it's a, it's a thing. It's a thing, and it's a kingdom thing, and it's a spiritual thing, and we've got to get better at it. It's so important that we take this really seriously. So that proper, proper forgiveness can happen. There's a, there's, someone does something wrong, someone confronts them. That person then repents, then there's forgiveness, then there's reconciliation. That's what you want. That's what you want. That's beautiful. That's kingdom. That's gospel. That's gospel. We did something wrong. God told us. We repented. He forgave us. We were reconciled. It's living the gospel. Yeah? I'm sorry if this is 101. <laughs> if you're sitting there thinking, well, I know all this. Okay, fine. Are you doing it? <laughs> sorry. Okay? If you go away and there's nothing new in your notebook, okay? But you start doing some stuff, I'm good with that. I'm good with that. Because Jesus said, blessed are you if you do it. Jesus said, if you hear my words and don't do it, you're like a man who built his house on the sand. If you hear my words and do do it, you're like a man who built his house on the rock. That's where the difference is. Do you do it? What I'm asking you, I guess, is, is there someone you need to speak to? You will need God's power and God's help to do it most likely. He will give you the power and the help to do it. Okay? If there's a complaint, if there's a complaint, Colossians 3, forgive. But there's an assumption there that the complaint has been articulated. Okay? You can't forgive if you don't know. Yeah? I can't say sorry if you don't let me know I was out of order. Okay? And then you might start trusting me less and less, but you haven't told me what I did. And I'm not a mind reader. <laughs> you see how it works? It's ever so important. It's really, 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 really big deal. Bearing with one another. Sometimes that's the best we can do. <laughs> Sometimes we're not always excited about everyone who's part of one another. Okay? <laughs> yeah? But we bear with one another. Because here's the thing. The moment we stop bearing with one another... We stop living out the gospel. Do you really think? Oh, I'm going to pray this way. Hold on a minute. <laughs> oh gosh, Vladimir could say this, and he would be fine. <laughs> yeah, I know. So I'm thinking how to. Because it could come across really wrong. What I'm, trying, what I'm going to say, what, what I'm getting at is, is that sometimes, even though God is perfect love, I think he has to just bear with us. <laughs> I, think, I really love him, but man, like the, the, you know, in, in anthropomorphic terms, in terms of if God was a person, you know, and sometimes he speaks in that way, and you see it in Jesus and the disciples, it's like, yeah, but he doesn't forsake you. Right? You're doing that, you're doing that thing again. Right? But he doesn't forsake you. 
So when someone else in church is doing that thing again, what do you do? What do you do? Because we're meant to live out the gospel. You see what I'm saying? It's like bearing with it. It's very practical. It's very practical. It's not always, you know, we're charismatics. We love, we love chandeliers and swinging banisters. We love all that, yeah? It's not always that. <laughs> not always that. So like, swinging from chandeliers, banisters, jumping around and swinging, you know, swinging from chandeliers, sliding down banisters. It's kind of like, it's a spiritual image of having a great Pentecostal party, you know. I love all that. But sometimes it's going, I'm going to go and, I'm going to go and that person winds me up. Right? They haven't sinned against me, but they wind me up. I'm going to go and have a chat with them. Find out how their week's been. Bearing with each other. In John, John Piper did this book on marriage called Momentary Marriage, and he does a really good chapter where he talks about having, having a really good understanding of your partner's, your spouse's sin and their strangeness. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, you can pull them up for their sin, you can't pull them up for their strangeness. Yeah, yeah. Trust me, you're strange. All right? We all are. You can't pull someone up for their strangeness. You love them. You love them and you love them through it. And they may get less stranger and they may not. The Bible says this, Welcome one another as Jesus has welcomed you. Open your heart, open your arms, open your home. Are you going to do it? Don't really mind whether you know it already. Are you going to do it? Because it makes a difference to the spirit in the spiritual realm. It makes a difference. The Holy Spirit is enjoying dwelling among that kind of community because he's seeing Jesus and the gospel all through it. He's seeing genuine love, which brings us on to this. You know, I love the bit where it says here, and um, above all these, put on love. Put on love, which binds everything together. That word bind, it's like a ligament idea. It's like ties. It ties together. It, it holds it together. Everything. It binds everything together in perfect harmony. You know? There's just that decision that I'm going I'm to agape you. I'm going to be out for your good. Right? I am out for your good. End of story. End of story. And even if things go a bit funny or a bit wrong or we have a tense moment or this or that, I am committed to your good. Why? Because I've been loved with that kind of love from heaven. Amen? So that's what we do. That's how we live and that's how we go. And that binds up and it protects things and it keeps things safe. And it helps us to grow into who we are called to grow into. And it has an impact on prayer. I want to just draw your attention to um, a very well-known verse in 1 John where he says, perfect love casts out fear. We love that verse, don't we? Well, I do. I thought you did, but that's fine. <laughs> perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love drives out fear. If you read the context of what John is saying there, what John, I, I, I don't, my hunch is, from, the, from my own study of the Bible, which is not infallible, I would signpost you to 1 John chapter 4, can't go into all the detail now, but I think when you read it, John is not talking about the love of God in that verse. The word perfect, does, it's got a wider meaning than just how we use it. It's talking about completion and maturity. That's the idea. I think he's saying that those who grow into a mature expression 
of love. Obviously, it all comes from God. Same guys just said God is love a few verses earlier. I'm not saying that, but it comes from. But as we grow up, as we learn how to express perfect, mature love, it drives out the fear. When you decide to move towards someone in Christ-like love instead of shrink back, it drives out the fear. It pushes out the fear. The enemy loves to play on fear. He loves to make you scared of people you shouldn't be scared of. He loves to make you think you could never talk to that person. He loves to drop in all kinds of weird and wonderful ideas about why, oh, we've talked to that person, it's all going to go wrong, or, or, that, or that, they're a bit funny. Or He loves all of that. Just, let's just keep people isolated in their own little pockets. Let's keep them away from developing real, strong, resilient, robust relationships that have been through some stuff, and as a result, the corners have been knocked off. Everyone's become more like Jesus as a result, and we can start bearing some fruit together. The enemy loves... For us to avoid all of that and to keep things superficial, to keep things as, as fundamentally separate. Yeah, sure, go along to church, but being part of the body of Christ, the enemy hates that. Whereas God wants to grace us to grow into mature expressions of his love, where we, grow, where we are shaped by the way he's loved us and learn how to love others. And as a result, we are not in our own prisons of fear for other people, but we're knocking those barriers down, driving all of that stuff out, and more and more living that life of serving others through love. It's a wonderful destiny. It's the most incredible thing. Very practical about love. If you read that first letter from John, it's, I would recommend you to read that. If you want to, Lord, I want to grow into your love more and more. Read that. It's a wonderful, wonderful letter. When it comes to prayer, I want to just give you a couple of a couple of scriptures to show you that it does matter the state of our hearts relationally when it comes to prayer. Mark eleven, Jesus says this. This is in verse, uh, sorry, let me find it. Verse 24. I, therefore I tell you, no, sorry. Verse 25. Whenever you stand praying, forgive. Listen to this. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. So when we come to Christ, we are justified, which means God declares us righteous. Okay. But there are certain verses in Scripture that present this scenario that is somewhat awkward and difficult to understand theologically, but this idea that you can still be a justified child of God and yet, and yet not not walking in the fullness of forgiveness because of the forgiveness that you are holding back. It's, like I say, it's awkward theologically. You think, how do I, how do I live in, in that? So you can just reject it because it doesn't fit, but you will, you will lose something because here's, here's, how I, here's an illustration to show you how it works. Um, when my children, who are now 21, 19, and 16, when they're out of line, right, they're still my children. But something's wrong with the relationship. Yeah? Or when I'm out of line. I'm still their dad. But something's wrong. Something's in the air. Something needs sorting. As believers, if we hold back forgiveness, we're still his children. But something's wrong. 
something is really wrong. Because you are pinning your hopes on free forgiveness through his sacrifice. With that hand, and while with that hand, you're withholding forgiveness to someone else. That's a problem. Like, that's a serious gospel problem. That's not just some little, that's bad. Okay, you need to immediately deal with that. Because that doesn't, that just doesn't work. And at some point, sooner or later, it begins to throw question on your gospel conviction. At some point, it, it begins to ask the big questions. What are, you, what are you really about? Do you get it? That he's forgiven you freely. Do you get it? Are you in the faith? That's where it ends up. So it's huge. It's huge. And when Peter's writing to husbands, he says, he brings it down, real concrete, real concrete stuff. 1 Peter 3, verse 7, he says, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honour to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Wow. Yeah, don't treat her right. Your prayers are going to be hindered. Why? Because you're out of order. That's why. Okay? <laughs> you're out of order. And God's saying, you're out of order. And you might want to move on and talk about saving the nations. But he's like a really good parent. And he says, no, you're out of order. And you need to sort that out. Then we can get on with this. See, because any of you that are parents or you know, very involved aunties or uncles or grandparents, you know the situation. If the kid is avoiding a key thing, we don't just move on, do we? That's called abdication. That's called bad parenting. We say, no, no, we can't just pretend, no, we've got to, this is not good. That's the loving heart of the Father. That's the kindness of God. That's the goodness of God. But these things matter and these things are real. And it's these little decisions that we make behind closed doors. As Bill Hybels used to phrase it, who we are when no one's looking. I love that phrase. That phrase lived with me for like 28 years. Who we are when no one's looking. That stuff's huge. It's huge. And we all, I've gone through it in the last session. I'm not preaching weird perfectionism. I'm not doing that. I'm, I'm talking about integrity. I'm talking about not being mask wearers, hypocrites. I'm talking about having a sincerity about us. That's what I'm talking about because God is the God of truth and uh, he, he doesn't deal with, he doesn't deal in nonsenses. You understand what I'm saying? It deals with reality. So I just want to encourage us. We're going to just come into to land. I think I've got through most of what I wanted to say. Um, yeah. Yeah, thanks. 
I would love to just, I know it doesn't feel very kind of like, you know, spiritual, but I would love to just give you a few minutes to just sit down, sit with the Lord and say, what do I need to do? Blessed are you if you do these things. It's actually very spiritual. What do I need to do? Who do I need to speak to? Um, is someone offended with me that I know of? He said, if you're offering, if you're going to do your offering and you remember someone's offended with you, leave it there, sort it out, then come back. So if someone offended am I offended with someone and I, that, and I haven't said anything? Right, we're going to deal with that. And I want to urge you, move quick. Because the sense of urgency you feel now could wane. Move quick. So finish with a story. I used to train at a boxing gym for a while, and um, the men and women, and there was a new trainer there, and we were doing sparring, and I said to the guy, just don't put me in with a woman, because they were doing mixed sparring, and I'm not willing to do that. Because women can't fight, because I don't want to hit women. So don't put me in. He put me in with a woman, and uh, it got very tense between me and him. And I crossed the line in terms of the way I spoke to him. Even though he was out of order, I crossed the line in terms of how I spoke to him. And I'm cycling home. Full of self-justification and anger <laughs> and all that. But I felt, Lord, say, say, just say to me in it, yeah, you, you weren't perfect in it, what are you going to do? And I was like, okay, yeah, fair, fair enough. I thought, well, it's Tuesday, I'll back, be back there on Thursday. And it's straight away that, that proverb, you know, if you've been caught by the words of your mouth, don't give your eyes sleep, you know. So I had the number of one of the coaches, so I rang him, I said, can you pass me on to that new guy? He passed me on, and I said, look, I'm the guy who da 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 essentially... The way, I, the way I spoke to you in that last bit, I shouldn't have done that. And uh, it was fascinating. You know, a uh, uh, soft reply turns away wrath. He just melted on the phone and admitted that he'd been out of order and wrong. He just totally, you know. And I just think those are moments. Those are moments that it's just a little whisper of the Holy Spirit, isn't it? No one else knows. But it makes a difference. And, and it's seen in the heavenly realms. This is the thing, folks. Yeah, all this invisible stuff is lay, laid out, and it makes a difference. So I just want to encourage you, maybe just have a, a few minutes just with the Lord, with your tablet or your phone or your pad or whatever. Just, Lord, what do I need to do in order that I might enjoy the blessing from, from your word as I, as I apply it and put it into practice? Just make a note, make it concrete, don't, don't go vague, make it really concrete, um, and then... Uh, either do it really quick, or if you're not able to, maybe just, just let someone know you're planning to, just to help you, to help someone to help encourage you. So we do that, and then uh, basically I'm done. So I'll let I'll let the guys pick up whatever needs picking up afterwards. So yeah, yeah. So Lord, we just thank you uh, for your beautiful truth. We thank you for this amazing family you brought us into. We thank you for the wonder and the glory of the church. We thank you for brothers and sisters, Lord. We thank you for spiritual mums and dads. Thank you, Lord, that it's not, it's not just me. You brought me into the family. Thank you for bringing many sons to glory. Hallelujah. We just bless you, Lord. We thank you for the family of God. And we thank you, Lord, that you love your family. And, and this is your home. You made us your home. And I pray for us, Lord, that we would really learn to love each other well as the glue that binds it all together, the glue that binds each of these stones together, that we would grow in love out of the way that you've loved us. And I pray even for all my brothers and sisters now in these moments, Holy Spirit, just be speaking to them, lead them into truth, keep them from confusion, 
Um, anything the enemy is trying to do, we just pray that, that would be uh, silenced in the name of Jesus. And we just pray, Lord God, for great wisdom and guidance from you into our hearts as we just have a moment to think about how to, uh, how to apply this word in your precious name. Amen.